June 2021 brought a first of many things into this brave new world that we live in. For instance, the first nation to adopt Bitcoin as their forced tender, not just legal tender, but forced tender. There's a difference and it's an important difference. And most excitingly, the science is finally in. We have our first person that made the, the transition from being ethnically British to ethnically Korean. The science is finally at a place where we can change our ethnicities. Hey, it's Lucas Crobot, and you're listening to Lucas Crobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 236 this late in the evening of June 30th, and I'm coming to you from the hot and humid and most beautiful city in the Arab Peninsula, Muscat, Oman. I've been I've been thinking about this catch line of uh, uncover purpose, pursue truth, own the future, and really. That's what we do as not just individuals, but as leaders. And your leader, I'm a leader. Whether we have titles or not, we are influencing people around us. There's people who are looking to us and we have influence in their lives. That is a leader. You are a leader. Your first role as a leader in, in the, to fulfill your purpose as a leader is to define reality. It is to define truth. And as we will find out, today in this episode, that when we don't define reality rightly, we get a mess of problems. But it's through defining reality rightly that we really can own our future. Now, this show is brought to you by listeners and leaders like you. Now, if you get value out of the show, and I assume that you do because you're a smart person, and you wouldn't listen to something that you're not getting some sort of value out. Well, you can actually help produce the show by giving value back to the show and the value that you get out of the show. Now, whether that's a dollar an episode, a dollar a minute, that's up to you. You can define that value, but you can give value for value by listening on a value-friendly podcast app. You can visit uh, podcast, newpodcastapps.com, and you can find a podcast player with the value tag in it. I personally like to listen to uh, episodes, podcasts on the Breeze app, and there's other apps like Podfriend, Sphinx, and Podstation, where for every minute that I listen, I stream, you know, half a cent or one cent or two cents, and that causes me to be more engaged. And I like knowing that I'm supporting the creators that I am listening to. Another way that you can give value to the show is by visiting the website, Lucas Scrobot, clicking the appropriate button and giving hard, cold fiat. Now, speaking of fiat and streaming of Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, that brings us to the first segment of today's show where El Salvador made Bitcoin not only their legal tender, but forced Tender. Here is Naib Bukali making the announcement at Bitcoin 2021. That is why next week I will send to Congress a bill that will make Bitcoin a legal tender in El Salvador. In the short term, this will generate jobs and help provide financial inclusion to thousands outside the formal economy. Now, this is a quite an astonishing and bold step to take, adopting Bitcoin as their financial currency. Now, it, 
El Salvador is backed by the U.S. dollar. They adopted the U.S. dollar after their currency failed. So they've been running on the U.S. dollar, which has been since 2001, which has been a great thing because compared to other nations in South America, they have not experienced a lot of inflation. But on June 9th, when they passed this law, a lot of economists were shocked, surprised. Some people were actually very excited because what Bitcoin represents to many people is decentralized ways to interact peer-to-peer without a central bank in the middle. It's a way that people can operate freely, they feel. But it's a very libertarian idea, and Bitcoin even came out of libertarian philosophies. But when they put this law into place, Article 7 of the law says, quote, every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever requires a good or service. In other words, Bitcoin is to be not just a legal tender in El Salvador, but a compulsory one. Now, this is coming from the director of the Cato Institute's Center for Money and Financial Alternatives, George Silgan. And the Cato Institute is a very much a libertarian institute. They focus on libertarian ideas. So here they're saying, wait a minute, this isn't in line with libertarian ideas. This is in line with compulsory ideas. He goes on to write, forcing businesses to accept some particular money is both unusual and utterly at odds with the Hayekian philosophy that led to Bitcoin's development and caused so many libertarians to embrace it. Why, Hayek asked, should we not let people freely use money that they want to use? He goes on and says, I have no objection to governments issuing money, but I believe their claim to a monopoly or their power to limit the kind of money in which contracts may be concluded within their territory to be wholly harmful. Now, this compulsory or forced tender law, like Article 7, he writes, obligates everyone to accept certain kinds or certain types of money for payment whatsoever. Historically, such laws have almost always been resorted to by oppressive, revenue-hungry governments, which sometimes make want to make their violations a capital crime. According to Dror Goldberg, an expert on the history of legal tender laws and forced tender legislation. He writes, it strikes at the very heart of freedom of exchange and contract, as its practical implication has been typically used to force producers to part with all of their produce for paper, worthless paper. And it can also be a severe violation of property rights. So this is a problem. It's not just that they're saying, hey, we're letting Bitcoin and the the Lightning payment system to be integrated into our banking system so that people can, if they want to, transact via Bitcoin. They can trade via Bitcoin. They're saying you must trade via Bitcoin. Even in most countries, in the United States included, you can refuse to accept dollars. The, the legal tender says debts can can be settled and must be settled with these certain 
uh, currency, so the U.S. dollar, is a legal tender, but it's not forced. There are many places that you can say, actually, I don't accept the U.S. dollar in America, and you can accept Bitcoin instead because that is your choice. But this is not what the law in El Salvador is saying, which is problematic on its face. But there are a lot of other problems in El Salvador. So before we just go down the rabbit hole of this could be a huge problem, there are some really good things that I think El Salvador accepting Bitcoin could bring to the nation. And that really focuses on the problems at hand that drove El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin in the first place. So here is Jack Mahlers, who is the founder of Strike, which is a payment portal, if you will, for Bitcoin. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with what Strike is, I'll give you a really quick overview. Bitcoin, when you're transacting, it can actually be very costly to transact because of the load of moving Bitcoin from one wallet to the next wallet. So they created something called the Lightning Payment System. And it's virtually free to send cryptocurrencies over the system. So what Jack, uh, Jack Maulers did is he created an app where you log in and you can create your account and it shows how much money you, you put into it in whatever currency you choose, US dollars or whatever other fiat currency you choose. And then when you want to send it, you... You can instantly send it to someone else who has the Strike wallet or any other wallets, and it instantly transfers that U.S. dollar number into cryptocurrency, transfers it right back into U.S. dollars. So you're always tethered. You're always seeing the real U.S. dollar number, which makes it really great for onboarding people who don't have a lot of technicality. When I started to, to get into Bitcoin and try to figure out how to open up a wallet, it's like, how do you do this? It's all these. It was over my head, and I'm normally someone who's pretty tech savvy. It took me a while to figure it out. But their method is so easy to onboard people, which is very important as we go to know as we go into these next couple clips. So here's Jack Mahler's making this announcement at Bitcoin 2021. Over 70% of the active population in El Salvador doesn't have a bank account. They're not in the financial system. They had a huge problem of financial inclusivity and providing their citizens with basic human freedom. I mean, that's a wild number. 70% of people in El Salvador are not in the banking system. 70% of people don't have a bank account, which is problematic. This having everyone adopt Bitcoin actually solves that problem because now you don't need to go and open a bank account. You don't have a, a central bank and this big massive intermediary. You can just open it right there on your phone. You can go to a, a Bitcoin ATM, Strike Wallet ATM, and you can load money onto your phone and it works smoothly. Another big problem that has been facing in El Salvador is a lot of the finances come from remittances. So from people who are working in America or other parts of the world that are sending money back to their family. And a lot of that money gets eaten up in the central banking transaction fees. We all have experienced those fees. They're painful, they're horrible, they're annoying. And adopting the strike wallet 
or adopting Bitcoin can greatly reduce those fees and make it really easy for people to instantly get money straight to their phone. And then they can go to the store with their phone and buy produce. So here's Jack Mahler's again, discussing some of these problems, but, but he goes into this story that I think really, it touched me, this story. I really enjoyed this story about this young man. And it really paints the picture of what is happening in El Salvador, and it's happening in many other places of the world. There's a guy named Chimbera, and uh, I spent a few days with them. It was my first week there, and he sat me down, and I said, you know, my, my grandfather was a fisherman, and my dad was a fisherman, and I thought I was going to be a fisherman. I'm not like you. You got a Chase Bank account. You get a debit card. I fish. Nothing more, nothing less, until Bitcoin, man. Like, I got hope. I scan the same QR codes you do. When Bitcoin goes up 10%, Michael Saylor makes a lot of money. So do I. So do I. Chimbear's never had a bank account, but he's got a Bitcoin wallet. Chimbear's never had a savings account, but he's got a hardware wallet. Chimbear saw that this is financial inclusion, that this is a network and a monetary system that doesn't hold any bias, and there's no intermediary that could tell him that he's not allowed. I mean, when I think of people, in, whether it's in Nepal or even here in the Middle East, there are, I don't know, I don't know the number, but I'm, I'm assuming a large majority of the people that are maybe not... Arab citizens, but immigrant citizens from Bangladesh, from India, from Nepal, most of these people, I'm guessing, probably don't have bank accounts. I have gone through the, the pains of trying to open bank accounts here, and it's very taxing. There's lots of different hoops that you have to jump through. And then to send most of these people, they're working overseas and sending those remittances, those payments back to their family. They, they live in the Middle East, and they're sending all of their income back to their family in the Philippines, for instance, where they've been separated from their, their, their children for decades. They see them once every couple of years. This is how a large portion of the world operates. In fact, even in America, Henry Ford worked very, very tirelessly to change the culture of of the way that immigrants worked so that immigrants were, were not allowed to send money back to their families in Europe. He wanted that money to stay in the ecosystem of America. He greatly changed the culture for better or worse. But we're still seeing many of those people in the world operate that way today. So imagine, now here's a Filipino lady or an Nepali man who they're working, and they're working solely to send money back to their family. Well, I know people in Nepal, most of them don't have bank accounts, but they can open up a Bitcoin wallet or a strike wallet right there on their phone because they all have mobile phones, they all have access to data, and they can instantly, without any payments, send money from one part of the world over to the next part of the world instantly without having to go through all these intermediaries. So I think it's an amazing innovation that, as Jack said in the story, it opens up financial inclusion for billions of, literally billions of people around the world. That's exciting. 
So he, he goes a little bit more into some of these problems in El Salvador, and I want to break some of the things down that he mentions because there are some flaws in his thinking, some things that I want to want to hit on. Here it is. El Salvador is a great example. It's a country that uses the dollar because in a civil war they lost their own currency. It's a country where over 20% of the GDP is inbound remittance. It's a lot. It's how capital is influx into the economy. Crazy. However, of that GDP, fees can be upwards to 50%. And the true crime is that there's over 2 million Salvadorians that live in the United States. And people are leaving because of the economic instability and the lack of economic support. The lack... So, uh, that's arguable whether that is the true crime. I can understand maybe what he's trying to say there is a true crime is that the nation is in such a state that Salvadorians don't want to live there and it's in desperate need of reformation. So maybe that's what he's trying to get at. But I think a lot of people from El Salvador who were able to immigrate to the United States, over 2 million of them, they probably did it because they saw a better future there. So I don't know if that that is the crime or not. I'm not, not quite sure what he's referring to there. Of economic opportunity. What that does is it causes individuals to rely on crime and violence. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He said a lack of, of financial opportunity causes people to rely on crime and violence. I mentioned this before on the show. I think it is an abased assumption to an accusation to say that poor people, if people are poor, if people don't have money, then they become criminals. It's this assumption that that the the root of crime is a lack of money. And that is absolutely false. The root of crime, the root of of moving to criminality is not a lack of money. In some cases, absolutely. But we we know there are a lot of people in the world who have a lot of money and they are still using unequal balances and they're they're still corruption in in the highest levels of governments all across the world. So it's not in these cases people aren't being driven to crime because they don't have money. It's because of the the the, the sin nature, the greed in our own hearts. And I think it's just insulting to to inference that that a poor peop, a poor person or someone below the poverty line is going to resort to crime. It, it's making this vast assumption about their moral, ethical character, and I think it's insulting. Just so insulting. And it ruins the security of the country. And it's generated a tremendous immigration problem. But if you rewind those steps, if you can fix the money, you can fix the world. Okay, this line. I thought about it for a while. If you can fix the money, you can fix the world. That is, if you, if you believe that money is God. If you are worshiping money as God, then yeah, that's what you think. If you think that everything in the world is broken because of a, some sort of monetary system issue, then that is what your worldview is going to stem from. But I do not believe that if you can, quote unquote, fix the money, you can fix the world. Otherwise, well, we should just send money to every, everywhere in the world and then things will be fine. But, but studies have shown that just dropping suitcases of cash off 
in 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 slums or in impoverished areas, it actually doesn't solve root problems within those communities. So again, I, I disagree with that statement. If if we can provide economic stability, economic opportunity, financial inclusion, and if we can build an asset that is defended by an open distributed network, and we have cyber hornets that will fight. I want to know what a cyber hornet is. If we have cyber hornets, if someone can send me a photo of a cyber hornet, that would be great. On that hill and die on that hill and protect it, and we can fix that, then they won't have to result to crime and violence. But, and then here again, it's saying, that these people are forced to resort to resort to crime and violence because of these financial issues. And I, I think the cart is before the horse on that one. And it's making a, a horrible judge of these people's characters of, and by say these people, I mean, people below the poverty line, you're, you're saying that people below the poverty line are going to be driven to crime. I just do not believe that that's true. I need to find statistics on that, but I don't think that's true. They won't be subject to, to the intermediary financial system that's taking 50% of their remittance. This I agree with. They though. won't have immigration problems and they can love the country that they were born in. Yeah, the, the, the central bank controlling and taking a cut of every transaction it's just that I do think is ridiculous, which is one of the, the beauties of the blockchain. This is one of the things the blockchain solves. And blockchain is, isn't necessarily cryptocurrency, but blockchain is a ledger that cryptocurrency operates on. And what blockchain has been able to do for the world is it creates trust between two strangers who don't know each other while maintaining those strangers' anonymity. And that is through the, the ledger of the blockchain, which essentially it replaces the central bank because no longer do we have to have the central bank as the intermediary party that creates trust, but we have the blockchain as an intermediary party that can create trust between two people who maybe don't know or don't trust each other in those transactions through a whole bunch of tech that I don't even know or understand and is not worth getting into in this episode. But there's a few economists who are really pushing back on this. And again, they're pushing back because not because it's just cryptocurrency, but they're pushing back because of the forced tender. Here is Steve Hank of, again, the Cato Institute, who's also a professor at John Hopkins University. Here's a, a clip by him. Let's talk about El Salvador because they actually have a law. And if you read the law, it's an extremely authoritarian law. You have a lot of these libertarian folks around, uh, swirling around in the, in the, as you call it, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And in fact, they're true believers and, and fundamentally a, a little authoritarians. And that law, Article 7, is a, a not a legal tender law. It, it is a force tender law. It's like the old Soviet code. It's like military occupation codes where a buyer and a seller aren't free to decide what currency they will use in transactions. And, and uh, legal tender, by the way, is only restricted to the payment of taxes and settlement of debt, not day-to-day -day transactions. And Article 7 
in El Salvador is focused specifically on day-to-day -day transactions. And that's the big thing. Legal tender is is narrowed to the pain of taxes to the central government and the pain of debts, not day-to-day -day transactions. There's an argument that's that's floating around about El Salvador saying that, well, if this is such a great deal, then why did they mandate it? Why didn't they just help people on board and say this is a legal tender, but it's not a forced tender if it is such a good deal? And, and they're getting a ton of blowback from this already from inside the government. And of course, there's a lot of other countries right now in South America that are are looking to adopt cryptocurrencies as well into into their their central government but it's not quite in, there's this list right here that I'll read through it's Paraguay uh, Panama Brazil Mexico Argentina uh, they're all saying hey we want to adopt cryptocurrencies too we don't want to get left behind but the issue is and we'll see how much traction happens but most of the the members of government in those other countries that I just listed or just congressmen or women or some minister of finance, but they most likely do not have the weight to actually do what the president of El Salvador did to get this off the ground and to get it off the ground so fast. But the worry is that it's an authoritarian move, a totalitarian move that normally is seen from very controlling governments, not from libertarian governments, and that's a problem. Here's, a, here's another problem. The second issue that Bitcoin in general raises as being a state currency or a nation's currency is the inability within Bitcoin as a coin itself to add more money into that circulation. There's a, a cap of 21 million Bitcoins out there. If the economy grows, how do you then grow your currency along with it? The only way to do that is through inflation or is through deflation within uh, Bitcoin, excuse me. But if you have a deflationary currency, then no one is going to want to spend. And then that causes cash flow issues and that causes great economic troubles. Here is Yanis Varosvakis, the former finance minister of Greece, who is commenting on this very point. Bitcoiners celebrate Bitcoin because it's not state money. But if you take this to its natural logical conclusion, it means it can never be a currency if it's not state money. <laughs> and secondly, suppose that, you know, you with a magic wand, you turned it into the only currency around. It would be catastrophic. You know, we, we, we'd all be now um, in, in very dire straits, far worse than we are now, because it's fixed supply. Now, what happens when you have a pandemic and you need to increase the money supply? You cannot increase the money supply of Bitcoin because it's fixed. It is preposterous. <laughs> um, the, the, the gold standard, you know, was one that was always abandoned where the money supply had to increase, either because of war, pestilence, you know, um, the, uh, the Spanish flu crisis, whatever. It was always abandoned and then supposedly they pretended to go back to it. The, the, this is like a very particular worldview right here. And there's a lot of people who don't like the fact that 
America came off the gold standard. They don't like the fact that currencies can be manipulated. They don't like the fact that the government can just continue to print more and more money. But he does have a point that one of the, the glaring issues with Bitcoin as a, as a currency, maybe not as a store of wealth, but as adopting as a nation's currency, is that the government would never be able to add more money into circulation, which creates it a deflationary currency, which is one reason that people like it, is that if I hold on to my Bitcoin and more people begin to want and demand Bitcoin, then my value of my Bitcoin will go up over time. But that also means that creates a cash flow problem, which is one of the things that I'm hesitant about. If you, if you listen to the previous episode, episode 235, we, in our Weaver and Loom section, we talked about the difference between foxes and hedgehogs. And foxes tend to see many different sides and pitfalls of a problem. And that's where I'm sitting right now. I'm not the hedgehog on Bitcoin one way or another. I think there's a lot of great things for it. And there's some bad things that are against it that make me still skeptical. So right now, I'm definitely not a, a hedgehog on this one with one point of view, as you can tell. Here's, here's another clip by the, the former finance minister, Giannis, talking about something that, to me, is a little bit unsettling. This is where I'm actually very, very pro-Bitcoin and against the central government, the centralization of currency, rather than have currency being controlled by individuals where you and I can, can decide on how we want to transact with one another. We can decide of how we want to make our money, where we want to spend it, and we don't have to worry about being followed, controlled by central governments. Here's this, this next clip by Giannis. Uh, remember, I said before that we need to cut out the middleman in QE. We now print money, or the Federal Reserve prints money, gives it to the bank, and then the bank lends it to corporations, and the corporations go to the stock exchange, and the whole thing is waste. Now, what if instead, you know, it's a... So pause that right there. He says, the bank prints money, the central government, the central bank, like the Federal Reserve Bank, prints money. They give it to commercial banks. Commercial banks then loan that credit out to, or that money out to investors. What he's saying is we need to cut out this middleman of commercial banks, and we need to have just a direct one-to-one, -one, which is a similar argument that the, the crypto Bitcoin libertarian people are making is saying we need to cut out the, the central government bit of it, and we can have free transactions between people using the blockchain ledger. He goes on. If the Fed wants to stimulate the economy instead of giving to the, to the bankers, you know, you and every resident of the United States, me once upon a time when I was a resident of the United States, you know, they, they get a, a digital bank account with the Federal Reserve and the money goes into that. <laughs> this is like massive. It sounds nice. It's like, oh, yeah, I can just I can just get a, a Fed coin. I can just connect my my finances. I can open a digital bank account is connected straight with the Federal Reserve Bank so I can get my my payments from the government every month. This is straight up Marxist monetary theory. This is straight up uh, socialism, communism, totalitarianism, where there's complete control 
over your money, where there's no freedom. Because if this were to happen, if the the feds or central governments of Europe, Europe or, or China, as they're already doing, or the United States or anywhere else in the world, if the central governments begin to create cryptocurrencies and they cut the middleman out of the bank and they go direct to you, then they are able to not only see every single transaction that you make, but if you get put on the naughty list, if you get if you get blacklisted for something, if they the government then, politicians then have the ability to control what you can and can't spend, where you can and can't spend it, and they can see everything that you're doing and control your financial flow down to the digit. And this is scary. And and this is where <laughs> again, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I think I kind of like this Bitcoin route. I think I kind of like decentralized finance, at least in a capacity. Here is Robert Kiyosaki, who is the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, talking about this exact same point, but making the other argument. Here, Giannis is saying this would be a great thing. The the central government could give payments, socialist welfare payments, directly, UBI, directly to individuals. And here's Robert Kiyosaki saying, uh, yeah, that would be a bad idea. Because the reason I like crypto, the reason I buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that stuff is I don't like the Fed. When I talk to most of the young guys, they don't like the Fed either. But the problem is, and this is why you've got to be smarter, is that the Fed wants to take this out. Yep. The European Central Bank, the ECB, wants to take it out. The Bank of Japan wants to take it out. The Bank of China wants to take it out. So that's why you crypto guys, you've got to be smarter today. You don't just sit there and go, So you crypto guys, you've got to be smarter because what possibly, it hasn't happened yet, is a Fed coin or a Yuan coin, a Chinese coin. China will probably have it before the U.S. And it's already happening in China. And there will be a European coin. And that'll destroy the, they'll destroy, they want to destroy Bitcoin. So you guys in Bitcoin, you've got to be smarter. So as it's coming down, like I said, I'm still going to buy more, but when it passes 27,000, I'm going to back up the truck. Just which, which means he's going to buy, he's going to really invest as it comes down because he actually believes in Bitcoin as a, an asset, as a store of wealth. He, he he continues, but he's making the point that these central banks, they do not like Bitcoin because they have no control. They have, they have no control in this system. It's like I did when it passed uh, 9,000. The bigger thing here is this. This is the future. This has not happened, but it might happen. Mm -hmm. If there's a Fed coin, they're going to get rid of the commercial banks. And this is, this is exactly what Giannis was saying in a positive way. Why don't we just create a Fed coin and then we can cut out the commercial banks? But th what the point that Robert Kiyosaki here is making is if you cut out the commercial banks, then all of the real estate and entrepreneurs, they go to the wayside because now we move to universal basic income and the government controls your life. You see, the only way the money can go into the marketplace right now is the, not Fed, the Fed prints money. They give the money to commercial banks like U.S. Bank and Bank of America and Wells Fargo. 
and they lend the money out. But if the Fed coin comes out, they don't need these banks. And the only way somebody could get money, they got a credit card, real estate, or a student loan, right? If there's a Fed coin, Wells Fargo is gone. I'm not saying this is going to happen. This is my prediction of what might happen. Don't say I'm saying it's going to go out and all that stuff, you know. If, if, if they go to a Fed coin, these guys are gone. We go to pure communism, which is, I think, the intention. That's why Kamala Harris is going to be the next president. Or <laughs> MMT, you know, it's Marxist monetary theory. That's my prediction. I'm not saying it's going to come true. If you say, well, I said that, it's not true. It's a warning, though. And what that is called is totalitarianism. Aha. Uh-huh. It's beyond Marxism. They control your thoughts. They control your breathing. They control your injections. They control your money. They control how you get your money, how much you make, where you're spending it, where can you travel. They'll know everything about you. Man. It's called totalitarianism. We did a whole series on totalitarianism last year. I, I don't remember the episode numbers off the top of my head, but we, we talked about what, what are the signs of totalitarianism? How does totalitarianism work? Uh, our episode with Dr. Michael Ignore, he talked a lot about totalitarianism. And this is the, the risk, this is the danger that many people are seeing coming today. It's totalitarianism. It is the control of your entire life by the government. Why? Well, because the government wants, they want to keep you safe. They know what's best. They have better moral judgments and superiority to you. They know what you need. And you know what? They'll take care of you. Just let the government be your daddy. Let them be your sugar daddy. They'll give you the little UBI payments. They'll make you comfortable. As long as you just do everything that they want you to do, say everything that they want them to say, and don't ruffle any feathers. If you choose to live that comfortable, quiet life, the government will be happy to give you the little bit that you need to keep on streaming Netflix week in, week out, and becoming a vegetable rather than defining reality and and stepping forward into your purpose to be someone who really does shape and change the future. But that is a dangerous thing for those people who are power hungry, for those people who want to control, not just to be a blessing to others and serve others, but to control other people's lives. Well, I have a, a treat for you Today, for the first time, speaking of first times, we're, we're debu- debuting a new segment on the show. I don't know if this segment will actually stick around, but it's it's at least here today, and we'll see if it if it comes back another time. Our new segment of defining reality, which is yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in this new segment of the show, as I said, I don't know if it will stick around. We we include and look at some crazy like crazy stories that actually, when you take it in the the confines of the cultural backwardness of the age that we live in, when we take it in the lens in light of the post truth society that we live in, these things actually be- begin to make complete sense. And what we are about to talk about, to me, it makes complete sense because we've already adopted the presuppositions that lead us down to this path and it is the only logical conclusion. And it's like magic. 
It's just like, well, yeah, I mean, of course, that makes sense. Well, just this last week, K-pop star, Korean pop star, Ali London, is now wants to be referred to Jimin and is the first transracial person. Yes, he transitioned from being British to being, uh, to being Korean. Uh, the science is in. You can be any ethnicity you want here. Here's, uh, I guess, Ali or Jimin. I'm not, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure. Um, but I am coming out as non-binary. Um, I don't feel I identify as male or female. I just feel like I'm just in the middle. Um, and my pronouns are they, them, Korean, Jimin. Because I know a lot of people don't understand me, but I do identify as Korean. And I do look Korean now. I do feel Korean. I don't identify as British. So please don't um, refer to me, any media or anyone online as British. Because I, I identify as Korean. That's just my culture. That's my home country. That's exactly how I look now. Um, and I also identify as Jimmy, and that's my Korean name. But uh, not only that, I just, I know it's a little bit confusing for some people. Nobody's ever come out as Jimin or Korean. But um, this is something that you guys know if you've followed my journey for the last eight years. I've really struggled with identity issues, with who I am, you know, with who I am. It's, it's a very tough one. So. I've finally had the courage. I've undergone my um, racial, uh, can't think of the word, transitional surgery. You know, I've transitioned to a non-binary person, they, them, Korean, Jimin, and um, I finally have the Korean look, so I'm actually really happy. I I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I, I want to start of like, wow. I mean, this is this is the logical conclusion of when you... When you dismiss truth, when you say, well, you can be whatever you identify with, this is the logical conclusion. I mean, if, if our X and Y chromosomes don't matter of whether you're a male or a female, and all of a sudden we have birthing people and, uh, you know, chest feeding and uh, saying that men can menstruate and men can have babies, it's like, what? No, it's... It's biology. It's X and Y. But when the when the the science the the I don't even know the postmodern woke progressive mob has bought into this as a society, and they just took away one little thing of saying, "Well, actually, you can you can be whoever you want. You can identify however you want, and whatever's in your mind that is truth." Well, then of course. Why couldn't you, why couldn't I identify as whatever race I wanted? Why can't I, why can't I be a person of color? I mean, I have some shade of my skin, like it's a little pink, but you know, if I get, if I get enough sun, it can be tan and I mean, why can't I? If there is no such thing as biology, well, the woke, and this is, this is where it really gets crazy because as we say, the woke eat their own on a daily basis. It's if you're not in party line or if you take one step out of party line, it's like the social justice warriors will come for you and they will come for you hard. Well, they came for uh, Ollie. He posted this on his or they's his hers. I don't I don't even know on their Twitter feed saying transracial is a thing exclamation point. I invented it. You can be transgender 
and you can be transracial. I mean, it's logical. If your if your chromosomes don't matter, and and gender, as they say, is just socially constructed, which we know that it's not. We discussed this in the previous episode, how actually we have biological differences. In many ways, males and females are quite the same, but on our biological differences, when you take away the social construction, you actually see that men and women become actually more different. But if you can say that gender or our, our biological sex is just a social construct, well then why, like how much more is ethnicity a social construct? How much more? It's not, it's, it's not like every Korean or every Greece person or, or every Egyptian person has the same exact same code of DNA, just like trans, like, like actual gendered people do or, or, or normal XY chromosome. Every male has an XY. Every female has a XX. That is much more clearly definable than ethnicity. So of course, I, I think Ali's right. I mean, why, why can't he, she, they be whatever ethnicity they want to be? After all, it's just culture and heritage. But no, 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 no. He goes on to this tr- tweet. He says, live your life to the fullest. Be who you want to be and spread love. Well, th- the love was definitely not spread. Uh, this is the first comment by, uh, I don't know, some troll Kaishna replying to Ali London TV. This person, individual, gosh, this tweet is so funny. They said, no, period. Gender is a social construct and ethnicity isn't. All in caps, ethnicity isn't. Being Korean is about the DNA, culture and history, and also being raised there. Not claiming you want to be them just by liking their culture and music genre. Please stop. You went too far. We, as Asians, hate it. (laughs) I mean, I mean, oh my goodness. I guess ethnicity, I guess culture and history and being raised somewhere, if those aren't social constructs, for for someone who believes in social constructs like Keishna does, then I don't know what is. And if, if gender isn't or our biological sex isn't a, uh, is a social construct, but ethnicity isn't, then it's like, man, we are so far off. But the, it makes sense that the woke would come after, come after Ollie because the this, this sacred cow, and I mean, gosh, I can't even say that. That's, you know, that's a racist thing to say, sacred cow, is, is raced right now. It is race. It is ethnicity. It's everything is about the melanin of your skin and your ethnic background and and Asian hate and it's 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 all been boiled down to pitting one ethnicity against another the next ethnicity. And uh, so of course, of course, they're coming for him or they. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know, guys. Here, he, Ali goes on. Whoever you are, however you identify, it doesn't matter if you identify as whatever, you identify as a potato, you identify as a Smurf, you identify as a Disney prince or a Disney prince, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you identify, we are all entitled to identify in different ways, 
So whether you identify as a rabbit, whether you identify as a cat, a dog, it doesn't matter. Oh my, this is, I bet it's true. Oh my God, I mean, a potato, a, a, a Disney prince. I mean, but it's true. What he's saying is true, not because it's actually truth, but when you take away the fact that there is such a thing as objective reality, that there is such a thing as as subjective biology, there is such a thing as an a clear ethnic bloodline of of your heritage. When you take that away and you say that actually it's all relative, actually there's no such thing as objective truth. Actually, be who you want, identify who you want, and what's the world to say? Different, And if they do say different, well, they're just a hate-filled person. When maybe, maybe we're saying, no, I, I, I think you have some deeper issues that need to get sorted out. And this is where I go to the, the sad part, the part where I actually get heartbroken is, you know, in this clip, the previous clip, I don't think I cut it, but he said that he's gone through 18 different surgeries to finally look the way that they want to look, he wants to look, to feel that they are fit right in their body, beautiful or loved or accepted in their body. 18 different surgeries. And that is, that is really heartbreaking, the, the level of discontentment that people have with how they were created, how they were made, the level of, there must be, I don't know, trauma or something. That to me points to, there are real deep issues that need to be solved and healed. And it's not gonna come from having a different appearance on your face. It's not gonna come from having a, a different shape of a nose. That is so, it's, it's surface level and it doesn't fix the deeper root issues that are going on inside of a human being, inside of each and every one of us. But this is where this next clip is the exact point where we fall off the wagon, where we fall off the path of, of truth and being able to define reality coherently, which causes Someone to say, if, if you identify as a dog, so be. If you identify as a potato, like it doesn't matter. Be, be who you want to be. This next clip is the exact point that we fall off that, that path. Whatever's in your heart, that's the truth. So please, please stick to that, okay, guys? Whatever is, whatever's in your heart, that's the truth. Whatever's in your heart is truth. Stick to that. That is where we have gone wrong as a society. We have lost the moral plumb line. We have lost... The, we have lost truth. We have lost objective reality. We have lost reason and logic and coherent arguments and understanding. And it's, I don't have a better word for it, but it's pathological and it's heartbreaking. It, it really is heartbreaking. And when, when we break that reality, when we do away with that undergirding of reality and of society and of individuality, then yeah, we become very, very, very confused because now every little feeling day in, day out pushes us to, well, well then who really am I? Who am I? Who am I actually created to be? Maybe I was supposed to be something else. I don't know. 
that's heartbreaking. It's it's just heartbreaking. Well, one last clip. This last clip. This last clip by Ali. Oh my goodness. He goes after the that woke mob that is that is after after they. It's after the, the woke is after they. I want to speak up against woke culture. I want to speak up out against you know woke people because this is not right. This behavior is like literally out of control. Like these woke people are literally like animals on Twitter. It's so so crazy. Woke people. This is for woke people. Uh, woke people are always preaching about different uh -huh. things. You have to pull a statue down. You have to do this. You have to do that. You know, they're always preaching about something. They get offended about everything. You know, you're actually hypocrites. It's hypocritical to be doing this. Hypocritical to be trolling someone like, yeah, so life. The only people that need to be cancelled is the woke people because they are <laughs> so dangerous to freedom of speech and society. It is literally, literally unreal. I just had to include that clip. That clip just made me laugh so, so great. And it's honestly, it, he's he, I don't know. The person is right. The non-binary individual in this clip is right that it's so hypocritical. I mean, haven't we been hearing that, you know, trans lives matter? Like, isn't the whole woke movement about supporting trans? Like, hasn't this whole Pride Month of June been about, you know, you are perfect and special just as, as, as how you are? And now when someone comes out and says, I, I identify as a different, different ethnicity, all of a sudden that same woke mob is now turning against someone that you think ought to be celebrated. It's it, the hypocrisy, the, the incoherency of it all is, is really, really beyond me. Just unbelievable. Well, if you want to get more of this sh from the show, the way that you can get more from this hour that you've been listening so far is by giving to other people, by actually going and sharing this so that you can build a cohesive language and shared language, uh, knowledge within your community, because that is what helps define reality. When you have a couple people around you that you're able to talk and discuss this with, to think through this Bitcoin stuff, to think through centralized and decentralized currencies, to, to think through inflation, deflation, cash flow, to think through this, <laughs> uh, this insanity of transness, of this, this erosion of truth in society. Where does it lead? Where does it lead? The logical conclusion is exactly what Ali said, is, hey, if you identify as a potato, then that's your truth. When really, I think it was only a, a short number of decades ago where if you came out identifying that, is that you're going to be put in an institution because you need help, because there's something broken in your psyche that needs, you need counseling, you need therapy to get through. Not just the embracing of saying, yeah, if that's how, if that's how you are, then go for it. If you are a tree, then we're just going to let you sit there and hopefully suck up enough nutrients through your feet to uh, survive. But that's not reality. But your job is to define reality. So I encourage you to share this with those around you. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment.
Welcome back to Weaver Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. And today's quote is, I think we've already done this quote in the segment before, but it's so fitting, I couldn't do anything else, by Aristotle. Aristotle wrote, the least initial deviation from truth is multiplied later a thousandfold. The least initial deviation from the truth is multiplied later a thousandfold. And that is what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen. That is exactly why we are seeing Ali being able to change their ethnicity. Why not? And be non-binary, sure. If, if there is no objective truth, if the moment that that little piece breaks off, yeah, it's going to be multiplied a thousandfold. And sure, if, if you can become a different ethnicity, different gender, as they say, there's, you know, you see those clips and you ask, well, how many genders are there? It's like, well, there's a million. You could be, there's just a million combinations. You could be anything. It is the, the logical, the logical conclusion. And it's the same thing that we see when it comes to the Bitcoin in El Salvador. One little deviation of its now forced tender, that could actually have rippling effects for that nation in a very bad way. Because it's one, it's, it's just a little off. And you have to question, it. well, if, if the system is so good and if people want it so bad, wouldn't they naturally adopt it? Why do you have to force it? Which that causes, it causes people, economists across the world who are libertarian, who are pro-Bitcoin, to wonder and be like, hmm, I don't know if this is a good idea. This seems a little too authoritarian to me. Well, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a couple good laughs with me. Remember, you, you are someone that goes out and defines reality. You make sure that you're not deviating one little step from the truth. And when you do, that's when you repent. Like that's when you turn from those wrong thoughts and you realign yourself with truth because that is the way to uncover your purpose. And that is the way to own the future. 